This is Anthony Lake, and I play the infamous Starfleet Ferengi on Star Trek Discovery Season 4, and you're listening to Trek Untold. Welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. When the Season 4 trailer for Star Trek Discovery dropped, there was one thing everybody was talking about. And no, it wasn't how much Michael Burnham would cry this season, although I did see a lot of complaints about that in Facebook groups that I'm in, and man, they just do not stop. But really, it seemed like all the water cooler talk, or in this case since it's Star Trek, the replicator talk, centered around one thing. And that one thing was the long-awaited return of the Frangi. When we all caught a first glimpse of that Frangi in that very first trailer drop, everyone had questions. Why were his ears different? Why was his nose different? What's he doing in Starfleet? Are there going to be more of them? I had the same questions, and as longtime listeners of this show will know, I am a big fan and a big lover of all things Frangi. So I did some hunting, and folks, well, today we're going to get some answers. Because I'm talking to the very person underneath all of that Frangi makeup, Anthony Lake. As I learned during this interview, Anthony didn't just play the Starfleet Frangi that we saw in that trailer, but he is, in fact, every single Frangi you're going to see this season on Star Trek Discovery. And folks, that is a lot of costume changes. Most of Anthony's on-screen acting roles have been with a lot of heavy prosthetics and makeup, and his resume includes time in Defiance, Killjoys, The Strain, Departure, What We Do in the Shadows, a very not-safe-for-work appearance he did in The Boys, and most recently in Chucky as a Dead Body on the Sci-Fi and USA Network series. My chat with this guest uncovered a lot of unexpected secrets regarding the Ferengi's makeup and costuming this season on Star Trek Discovery. And frankly, I think you're going to be just as shocked as I am when you hear about some of these things. So stick around, get ready to meet Anthony Lake in this very fun and interesting interview, and learn all about the brand new modern version of the Ferengi. But before we begin this week's episode, if you'd like to support this show, please don't forget to follow Trek Untold on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to get the latest updates and all sorts of other fun Star Trek-related content. You can also check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold, where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can check out the shows before they come out, know about my guests in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, among other benefits coming soon. Shout out to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions, who create 3D printed toys and prop replicas inspired by Star Trek. Their items come in all shapes and all sizes and are always amazing, but you're going to hear a little bit more about them later on in the show. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platform that allows for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. If you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. Doing any of those things help keep this show growing and allow me to continue bringing you awesome guests and great conversations every single week. Now, without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining me on the other side of the screen is a performer whose face you might recognize, but not necessarily from his performances in Star Trek. Uh, today, we are joined by Mr. Anthony Lake. Anthony, how are you today? Hello. I'm doing even better now that I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's very flattering, Anthony. I appreciate that. We'll see how you feel in about an hour from now. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, like, vice versa. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, you know, we've got a few interesting Trek things to talk about here. Uh, you know, as I mentioned at the start of the show here, you are really the first person to be portraying a Frangie in the new Star Trek series. I think that's really cool, but we got a little bit of a road to get there uh, before we start talking Trek. Uh, but that road always begins with this very first question. And that's, Anthony, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Uh, well, I just have to start off by saying I am an underachieving Ferengi because I am not a Trekkie. I uh, I was never interested in the world of Star Trek. <gasps> oh my, my pearls. God. I know, clutching my pearls. Uh, I was more of a horror fan. That's more my genre that I was uh, that I'm into and still into. Hence the skulls behind me. <laughs> um, but you know, as a kid, my earliest memory is seeing the Ferengi because they had such a distinctive look to them. You know, it was uh, I never knew what they were called. It wasn't until years later till I got the opportunity to, you know, go for my fittings and then learn what the Ferengi are all about. So that's my earliest memory of uh, Star Trek is not knowing much about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> now, when we're talking Ferengi from that era, are you talking about like some TNG Ferengis or are you talking some DS9 Ferengis or something else? If you could tell. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure like DS, I'm talking about like Quark and, you know, all those guys, and it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the era that they were from. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, all you all you Trekkies <laughs> out there. I'm I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, you nailed it. That, that's where Quark is from. That was a pretty Frangie-heavy show because of Quark and Armin Shimmerman. Uh, so that's really interesting that you kind of were, were intrigued by it because of this makeup that you kind of viewed as more like horror style. Because um, to me, when I think of like horror makeup, I don't know how much you know about like Voyager, but there's like a whole bunch of aliens who have this thing called a phage. And it's basically like, imagine uh, the abominable Dr. Five is walking around in space. It's like a whole bunch of people like that. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting thing to kind of note. But um, let's get some background information about you real quick, Anthony. Uh, can you tell us where you were born, what your parents did for a living, and what little Anthony wanted to be when little Anthony grew up? <laughs> Well, I was born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, and it's still my hometown today that I reside in. Um, growing up, I was an only child, so I was a little bit spoiled. <laughs> uh, my mom was a, a stay-at-home mom, and she met my stepdad early on when I was two years old. So, like, uh, he was a baker, and she liked to cook, so that was a pretty much match made in heaven. <laughs> Uh, and I always wanted to perform early on. Like it was always to make people laugh. That was my first memory growing up is making my family laugh first and foremost. I love performing. I love the arts. I didn't know if I wanted to pursue it back then because obviously I didn't know what acting was back then. So, you know, it just, uh, it wasn't until a little later on that I was like, Hey, I want to do this with my life or maybe as a hobby. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I'm surprised you didn't go into the culinary arts considering how much that was around you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's because like I, I was cooking up, uh, uh, drama as I would say, <laughs> like meaning like I was like, uh, I'd rather perform than perform in the kitchen. I mean, like, I'm quite the cook now, thanks to my husband. But, like, uh, before then, it was it was non-existent at all. <laughs> now, like, were you a theater kid when you were going to school? Oh, no, 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 no. No theater for me. It was always, uh, it was always, uh, I wanted to be in front of the camera. And that's still, a, that's still a fear that I have now. I have so much respect for theater actors. You know, I'm, uh, I like to have opportunities to go again if I have to. <laughs> Whereas in theater, you only have that one chance. But what I learned in my training at Second City here in Toronto is that, like, if you screw up, the audience isn't going to know. So 
grow with it until you find your place again. <laughs> now you mentioned how horror movies were really like kind of your thing. So when did horror first, well, I guess become your thing? Uh, like acting, like I was, I don't know exactly how it happened. All I know is that I was so intrigued by and fascinated by horror that it, I, my, my earliest memory was probably watching The Exorcist. Uh, like I like I don't know why because I heard a lot about it. I heard my mom and my aunt talk about it because they went and seen it back in the day, and they're like, "Oh, this was so good! It was hilarious to them." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and then I watched it, and at the time, I'm like, oh, "I don't know why they found it hilarious. This is quite disturbing." <laughs> but then, you know, like over the years, like I I watched all the Nightmare on Elm Streets and Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween's, and you know, de- developed my own taste with other cult films that are weren't quite popular you know what I mean so yeah and it's still it's still in my life today so what would you say is your personal horror forte I mean do you gravitate towards the classics the black and whites do you go towards like the the gore films uh more of the slashers what are you into uh I'm not really into the paranormal I feel like those are quite cheesy unless it's really done well um, I did like the Conjuring movies. I really did like that. Um, I'm more into like 70s and 80s cheese. <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and like the sleepaway camps and, you know, all those that are just, uh, they're just really bad, but they're so good. <laughs> so after you're out of high school, I mean, did you go to a performing school? Did you go to a college or university to study acting more? Or were you looking at other things at that point? I actually started in the acting game pretty late in my life. Um, I didn't, you know, my mom, I wasn't a theater kid or I wasn't, you know, one of those, one of those kids that were fortunate to get into like commercials either on, you know, that was the, that was the stipulation, you know, the earlier, the younger you are, the better it is for you in your acting career. But, you know, my mom didn't really have like the, the means to seek out the best school for me you know what I mean and like in high school like I did all the drama stuff and like after high school I'm like do I really want to pursue you know the college thing and um college wasn't in my future back then (laughs) and then it wasn't until um it wasn't until later in life that I you know I when I was starting to work I I did retail and then you know as the story goes I was like I'm so bored of my life. I can't do this anymore. What was me? <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I can't, you know, I wanted to get back to, I wanted to see if I can do acting on a more professional basis. And, you know, at the time I was working retail as a manager and then my best friend at the time, her neighbor was working as an extra on like TVs and TV shows and movies. So I'm like, huh that's interesting. And so I was talking to him more about it and like getting like a feel of it. And like, other than, you know, doing like short films and like doing, you know, training and stuff, I really had no knowledge of the industry whatsoever. I was pretty blind. It's amazing how many people want to be in the industry, but there's so much that goes into it behind the scenes that they don't, it's kind of overwhelming when you first get into it. And so, like, that's pretty much what I did. I started off as an extra just to dip my toe into the that huge pond, which is very big but very small at the same time. And, yeah, it just kind of, like, escalated from there. 
Now you mentioned a little bit ago uh, about Second City. I mean, did you do some improv training there? Was that like, but basically I'd like to know, I guess where your acting education began and where it's ended. Uh, well, with acting training, like you're never, it's never the end, <laughs> you know, you, you always, you're always learning. And like, I started off, I went to second city, the training center. There's only three in the world. There's in New York, Chicago, here in Toronto. And so that was probably the best place I can go to because it's, it starts, it has so much, there's so many great programs there. I did improv, I did stage just to prepare myself. I did um, audition techniques. And it, what was great about the teachers is that they're also working actors themselves. So they're still in the game and they're still teaching people, you know, their experiences with, uh, with the industry as well. Yeah, I feel like so often you get like teachers who are out there who aren't really giving you real world advice, real world applicable instruction. Uh, so it's really mm -hmm. cool that you're actually getting things you can really use and not just, you know, filling your head with a bunch of things that are never going to be talked about or discussed and ultimately won't make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a ton of those in <laughs> in the world. And there's a lot of people. Well, that's what I mean when I said that my mom really didn't have like the the intellectual means to know where to put me as far as like classes went. And so that's what I kind of had to learn over like my, my time in the industry being an extra to start with. I mean, <laughs> now, and the very first thing you were an extra on was that defiance. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really proud of it because like, it wasn't, um, I got to do some pretty big stuff in it. Like, and I was on set with some pretty heavy hitters. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be really overwhelming to be like that basically to be your very first job. That's a pretty high budget, uh, very intense show I'd imagine to be thrust into. Well, actually my first job with ever was on Degrassi. <laughs> nice, nice. But, my, but Defiance was like my my second job and it was very like it was it was a big show. Like it was a big budget. Like shooting oh. the pilot we shot they shot it like a movie. And then like the, they got picked up and, you know, I was, uh, I was tight cast early on to be a, a very fabulous hooker in the need want. <laughs> and so I was always in those bar scenes with um, Grant Baller and Julie Benz. And it was just a really great experience. And, you know, I, I was really sad when it got canceled because I really, that was a great show to be on and I miss it. And, you know, years later being on other productions, people still remember me like, Oh, you're the, you're the guy with the nipple paste. He's on that show. I remember you still. <laughs> so it's nice to be remembered that way. <laughs> I hope you got some eight by tens of those nipple pasties. Cause that'll sell. That'll make us a bank. <laughs> well, unfortunately I, I wasn't able to grab those. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I know. They were, they were really great. They're like stars, but they were like sequins. I'm like, damn, I couldn't, you couldn't have saved me those. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, being on this show, you were there for a while, I believe too. Right. Uh, and what, what did you learn from there? A lot. There's a lot of uh, terminologies that go with, you know, just being in, in the industry. And, uh, you know, what people probably think of most is like, oh, hit your hit your mark, say your lines properly. But there's a lot that goes hand in hand with all that stuff, like blocking the scene and like, you know, doing rehearsals. It's like kind of like doing a play in itself in a way without the, the huge scope of audience in front of you. <laughs> I believe not too long after Defiance, you went over and started working on The Strain for several years, right? Yeah, that was a completely different uh, scenario. <laughs> yeah, because that was like, uh, if I recall, that was your first time actually dipping your toes into prosthetics, right? 
yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was very overwhelming, but it was very exciting time at the same, in the same, in the same time, because it was, uh, I didn't know what was I was getting into and me being a horror fan, you know, that was always, uh, kind of like a dream of mine to like wake up and be something gross and disgusting and scare the shit out of people. <laughs> That's how I wake up every morning. But, uh, you know, I mean, first time ever doing prosthetics, I gotta know. Well, that's how everybody's been waking up since uh, since uh, lockdown. <laughs> yes, true, true. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so this was like your first time ever doing prosthetics, right? I mean, had you ever done it before in any independent things? Or was this just pretty much, you know, here we go, you're going to go into the deep prosthetics now? I was, that was, I was thrust deep into that. Like it was, that was the first time I've ever done that. So it was really, really exciting for me. Um, they wanted a whole bunch of people that were willing to shave their head. And I already had my head shaved. <laughs> it's just an easier it's just easier to uh navigate life with a with the bald head you don't have to do much you roll out of bed and they're like great we like that and uh you know they wanted they wanted people who knew how to move their body and we got choreographed um with a with a dancer who professionally who's worked on everything in toronto he was actually um pyramid head in the silent hill movies so that That's was really, really how about creepy. It was Yeah. But it was really exciting too. But um, yeah, we had to go, we had to train, we had to do this whole like neck thing and move slowly. It was really, it was interesting, especially since you're, I was kind of like fresh off the boat, so to speak. And uh, I didn't know much about this stuff. I mean, the first time you sat in that makeup chair, and maybe even if I back it up the first time you had to like do a mold, I mean, were you claustrophobic? Were you okay during the whole process? Well, back then, it took my first application ever. It took three hours to do. I didn't have to do a mold because they were, uh, you know, the the special effects uh, artist Pat Baxter who did my makeup. He like he's a legend. Like he did like e- the Evil Dead movies, and like it was just uh, it was great. And now he's like doing prosthetics all the way in Japan now. <laughs> but he's like going back and he also did like something for um, Ghostbusters Afterlife and he spoiled some stuff for me because he showed me some pictures. <laughs> but yeah, um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a mold. It was a great it was just a, a latex piece that went over like my my brow. And then the rest is just like painting and airbrushing. But, you know, that first season, they were just kind of like feeling their themselves out and you know it was like trial and error and by four season it took maybe 45 minutes to do an application given the fact that the the prosthetics uh wasn't too stubborn in the morning <laughs> i mean i've spoken to a lot of actors even ones who play like pretty major roles on star trek and you know after a while they say it gets pretty tiresome doing the prosthetics but you basically have made a career of it um so you know just talk about the strain in particular I mean, how did you keep yourself sane during all of that makeup time? Um, well, that was my favorite part was like waking up early in the morning and heading into that makeup chair chair and just shooting the shit with all these amazing makeup artists who have made their mark in the, the makeup industry. And, you know, it's just been that was my favorite part. A lot of actors hate it. And I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of actors who are like, no, it's torture. I don't want to do it again. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. You can play too much. <laughs> um, but I love it. It's like one of my my favorite things to do. It, that's, that's why I love Doug Jones so much because he's made a career of turning himself into like 
and anything and everything, you know what I mean? And like, I just, I look up to that man and I think like, he's just, ugh, he's so lucky because that's what I want to do. You know, like I just to, and that's my dream as an actor to like, and it to like sit there and like transform the metamorphosis into something completely different and like look in that mirror and be like, whoa, that's not me. And like, it just, it helps you immensely to step out of that acting box and perform even more. So it's, it's a lot of fun. The cold wasn't. <laughs> like when we were doing the strain, uh, that was the one thing I didn't look forward to because the majority of the time it was a lot of night shoots, you know, from sundown to sunrise and being out there in the cold and the crew were just like troopers also. And just, that was the hardest part. And by the time we got to the fourth season, we were kind of lucky because they were shooting things. They were shooting the last season during the day for the exteriors which was a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like the one thing is if you're going to try and make it in the industry as a person who strictly does prosthetics or wants to focus on prosthetics, you're going to have to learn a lot of patience. Yeah, absolutely. That's the patience is key. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Doug Jones later on. Cause I, I get the feeling there's going to be a lot to talk about with him. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, his name is already coming up this interview because that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, you know, you've had a bunch of roles but arguably, I think the most not safe for work role we're going to talk about today would be uh, then probably that I've ever discussed in this show. And I don't know if I'll ever top this one, um, but you were in The Boys and you played... <laughs> <laughs> you were in The Boys and you played the porn version of Jack from Jupiter. He's kind of like Martian Manhunter in their world. Um, uh, and this is already just getting NSFW, but um, I have questions. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. Uh, I like being on YouTube and not being demonetized. So what can you tell me about uh, the porn version of Jack from Jupiter? Because that is an unforgettable moment, let's just say. Yeah, it was. And uh, when I first got the um, breakdown from my agent, breakdowns are pretty much like from the casting that says, oh, I need an actor that fits this and this. And the, uh, my, the agent is like, oh, well, I got this person. And my agent, I woke up one day and uh, my agent emailed me saying, oh, they need somebody who's bald, thin, tan, lean, and he's willing to do nudity. And she's like, this is pretty much you. <laughs> are you and she's like, are you willing to do this? I'm like, well, I mean, like, how much nudity? And she's like, well, it, there's a good chance you might need to do full frontal. And I'm like, uh, okay, let me think about this for a second. And then I was like talking with my my husband about it. And then my best friend, who's also an actor. And then my actor's like, are you stupid? Like, it's the boys. This is a big TV show. Like, if you don't do it, I'm going to shave my head and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm like, okay, okay. And so like, I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then um, just sent a bunch of like um, safe pictures to my agent uh, and like, you know, all the stuff and just so they can send a casting. And then casting is like, okay, great. We, we love the look. Can he come in? for an audition and I'm like yes for sure and then the next day I went to the audition and then uh you know it was uh, I just had to do um one of the the lines and uh the casting director was like okay we're gonna do this again because the first time I read it when my agent sent me the the, the little uh clip I was like well I don't get this is, is this like supposed to be legit porn I don't get the the concept of this and so when I went to the audition room and the casting director told me to do it again she's like okay you gotta do it but do it really bad 
<laughs> like, okay, like don't quit your day job badge. She's like, yeah, 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 that. And so we did it again. And like, I, I said the line really over the top and just added a couple moans and groans in there. And then and once I was done, everybody laughed in the room. And I'm like, oh, that was fun, guys. Thanks. And then I opened the door and the, the, um, the secretary at the desk just looked at me and smiled. I'm like, thanks. Have a good day. And then, you know, the, the rest is history. I don't think the rest is history. I got to talk more about this thing. I mean, you're doing this scene here. Uh, it has to be intimidating. I feel like it's, it'll be such an intimidating thing to do. And not only that, to have to be so vulnerable in that moment because you are basically stripped down to the bare necessities. So, I mean, on shoot day, what is that like for you? Well, it wasn't my first rodeo being nude on a, a TV show before. I'd done, you know, a couple others. So I kind of knew what I was getting into. I mean, the last one that I did prior to that, it wasn't really a great experience. So I did come into this with a little bit of hesitancy, but like shoot day, you know, uh, it was, uh, I couldn't be more comfortable. They made me feel so comfortable, but, um, prior to shoot day, I actually had to go into the studio to, you know, get my fittings. And then I had a photo shoot with, uh, a couple of the other, um, foreign guys, the guy who played, uh, home banger and, um, foreign deep. We had our own little photo shoot because we had our own, um, DVD covers that were never used in the, uh, in the final episode. So uh, I would like to get that eventually. <laughs> so we had to do all those prop shots and then the day of shooting, I think I spent more time in the makeup trailer getting airbrushed orange <laughs> than actually being on set and doing that scene. Um, but yeah, uh, I remember uh, the, the poor makeup woman, she actually had to, we had to go into my trailer and actually finish. She had to finish airbrushing my butt <laughs> with the airbrush, but it was totally cool. She was totally like, she was totally fine. We were totally comfortable. And then once, once I got into all my like uh, Jack from Jupiter gear, I was like, yes, it's go time. And then I was on set with, uh, with four other guys that were troopers in themselves. You know what I mean? I, you know, they had to pretty much stand there and then I was right in the middle. And then I think we did, I want to say probably eight takes and they were all different. There was one that you've seen in the final cut. There was one with me just wearing the cape. And then there was one that was where, when I was wearing everything, the cape, the boots, the booty shorts, everything. And so just to give Amazon that little bit of a little bit of an insurance in case it was too much, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was great. And nobody made me feel bad at all, which was, and the cool thing is that we shot it how the panel was in the comic, which was really fun. And uh, yeah, if they ever asked me to do it again, oh yeah, I think I would do that again. I mean, are you surprised that that moment has become pretty iconic, I feel like, to that show? I feel like, you know, in terms of the circles that I'm within, I didn't really see a lot of stuff for the boys, like not really a lot of memes, things like that. But that's the one thing I knew about without even seeing the show, you know, at that point. Uh, I mean, that, that thing has become basically a meme. Were you expecting that to turn into that? Uh, kinda. <laughs> because it's, it's one of those, like, Easter eggs where you blink and you miss it. Um, but I know, like, hardcore boys fans who also read the comics, but who watch the show religiously would, um, would see that and, you know, blow their mind. <laughs> and I like that. I, I like that's a nice way to... Um, be remembered for <laughs> i like how that sentence included hardcore boys and blowing their mind so uh congratulations yeah. on doing that yeah, it's like a, it's a marriage you have to you have to marry the two that takes talent 
So another show that I'm a really big fan of uh, is on FX. That's what we do in the shadows. I, I like that show a lot. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I didn't think I'd be still in the vampire phase at this age of my life, but it's such a great show. It's so hilarious. And uh, I was really, really excited to see that you were on it as well. Uh, and yeah. you did, you were Blavsglad. Uh, I believe I'm saying this right. Blavsglad, the exsanguinator. <laughs> Vladglad the exsanguinator. <laughs> yeah. You said it much better than I do, of course. Uh, <laughs> so even how, how are you enjoying your time being a vampire now? I mean, like if I could be a vampire porn star, superhero, hooker, uh, combine all the two, like I would be like, that would be amazing. <laughs> but I feel like I, that's, like, that's my niche. Like I'm either like the, the porn star hooker or the vampire and I'll take it. <laughs> um, and it was really fun. Like the, you know, being around other comedians, especially ones of that caliber, you know, they're all amazingly talented and like all they did was improv that uh that first time that I was on the show and it was and Nick Kroll was on there and like he was nothing short of but amazing and he was funny and like it was just it was it was where I wanted to be (laughs) how much of that show would you say is actually scripted versus how much is improv oh all of it's scripted but um they do their lines they do like what's written down and then everybody kind of like exaggerates and does their own thing and like their director will come over and say okay do you want to do one more for funsies and then they'll do something like completely random and like it's uh it was really great and so like to be back on season two again that like again cast was amazing and then uh before the winter break we um we shot we finished season four i'm actually two different people in season four. <laughs> ah, but I'm pretty sure we can't talk about that or else I'm going to be losing all my blood. And that's going to be at the hands of <laughs> FX. No, no, no. But like uh, one's pretty funny. And I'm again, I'm in pretty heavy prosthetics and uh, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> and then back to being a uh, black lad, the exanguinator again, which is really funny. I like how they keep on bringing a uh, Nick Kroll's vampire gang back as sort of like a little, yeah, you're here too. <laughs> Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek-inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hi, I'm Armin Schimmel. And I'm Kitty Swank. 17 years ago, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I didn't know it at the time, but I had a 4% chance of surviving five years. As her husband, I was very scared. But he never let me see that. You are a rock. Thank you. Thank you. 
Pancreatic cancer is the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States, with a five-year survival rate of just 10%. We want it to be much higher. Much higher. It's 6% better when I was diagnosed, but not high enough. More than 60,000 Americans are estimated to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2021, and more than 48,000 will die from the disease. Because symptoms are often vague, it can be hard to detect. Like the rest of the world, the Star Trek universe has been struck repeatedly by pancreatic cancer. Not only those of us that work on the show, but our fans around the world as well. It is why we came together with so many others to work with the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, the leading patient advocates committed to fighting the world's toughest cancer. PanCan is working hard to create better outcomes for this devastating disease through its groundbreaking research and early detection and better treatment options. PanCan drives progress by funding life-saving research, providing personalized patient services, and creating a community of supporters and volunteers who will stop at nothing to create a world in which all pancreatic cancer patients will thrive. You can help support their important mission by donating at pancan.org today. We donated. Won't you do so too? Please, make it so. We now return to Trek Untold. All right. Well, Anthony, let's beam into our Star Trek discussion here. And, uh, you know, my big draw for you was that you were the Frangi, but I didn't know you actually played another character before we got to the Frangi. So let's kind of back things up for a second. Uh, you were seen uh, in, uh, I think it was episode season three of Discovery uh, Unification Part Three. Uh, you mm-hmm. were one of the spectators on Navarre. So this is your first time, I assume, in Disco. Uh, so how did you get cast into this part? Again, they like people with bald heads. <laughs> <laughs> That's and- the secret. Yeah, that's the secret, be bald. And uh, I always wanted to be on Star Trek. You know, it was like the ever since it came here to Toronto, everybody wanted to be on it. And like, I, I always want like, even like with the audition circuit, like I could never, I could never be on it. And they were looking for people who were bald and wanted to be like a, a hybrid with uh, the Vulcan and the um, the Remulon, which I thought was really... Uh, uh, Romulan. Romulan. <laughs> Sorry, my non-Trekkie uh, uh, code is showing. <laughs> we did that scene, and I think we shot it in three days. I want to say three days because it was a long, long, long scene. And, like, I had to come in for, I'd say, four times just to do a fitting, which is completely natural in st- if you're a cast on Star Trek. You need to be fitted a quite a good deal just even like any anybody that you see wearing even those disco jackets like i guarantee you they've been in fittings at least four times for that jacket because everything's very meticulous and everything needs to be fitted like it has to be like chef's kiss like <laughs> and so like i it was a good like four or five days fitting into that and so it was like a and then again, prosthetics, like simple brow piece, and then the ears, and then the, the eyebrows. It was really fun. But like all the stuff that like I was in, they didn't, they didn't show it. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't show it because like the, the scene already went along as it was with Sonequa's big monologue that she had, which was the big focus. And when you're on Star Trek, they like angles. They like to shoot every single angle that they possibly can. And so like a lot of that scene with us, the the hybrid spectators didn't really make it. 
So, I mean, what can you tell us about what was left on the cutting room floor? I, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this, but I assume it's safe to discuss it because it's probably going to be in the Blu-ray. But uh, I mean, what was ultimately left on the, left on the cutting room floor? I mean, there was a lot of... There was one scene where, like, um, one of the lead actors looks to us for, I guess, approval in a way. And we just... Um, the rest of us were kind of, like, in, like split on the decision on what Sonequa was saying. And we, there's one point where we got up and we started yelling at each other and it was, it, it, it ended up being really goofy because when I'm in those situations, I will hurl, I will yell like stupid shit at my, my fellow like actors and just to like, just to say, just, just, just to yell things. And then, you know, they'll, uh, they'll dub it with like, you know, the, the alien speech and stuff like that. But like, that wasn't really, I, from what I seen at the scene, it was really quick and they didn't really show a lot of the, uh, the spectators which which was really uh unfortunate because everybody each one of us that they worked on looked amazing yeah that's the one that you can say about discovery and a lot of people like to pick on it but the makeup job whether you like it or don't it's still pretty amazing it's still some pretty great work and uh you know yeah. even um, we will touch on the uh, the um the decision making on some on uh the makeup <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, we're going to get there, I think, in a few minutes. But just one last thing about being the uh, the Vulcan Romulan or the uh, Remulon mm-hmm. hybrid, if you will. Um, you know, nothing is, is that simple when it comes to being in the makeup chair. And even if it's just like simple ears, it's going to still take you a while. So, uh, you know, how long was your makeup process being uh, this type of a character? Um, Not that long. I'd say maybe probably like, I guess, 35 minutes to like, you know, 40. Like it, That's like a cakewalk for you. Yeah, which is like nothing for me. Like you just had to glue on the brow piece and the ears. And again, it depends on like how finicky the piece actually is. Like, you know, you got to make sure those edges are really smooth. (laughs) Traditionally, Romulans and Vulcans, they all kind of have this like bowl cut hairdo with the really pointy sideburns. Uh, But you were Mm -hmm. bald in your scenes, right? So I mean, was there ever talk of having a wig on you? No, never. Always on natural. Uh all natural i think they wanted uh in terms of hairstyle they wanted some diversity um i know i from what i remember i think there was one person who was sporting something similar um but again like i don't it didn't didn't make it <laughs> um but uh yeah there was no talk i think there they just wanted like all different looks across the board and they they got it <laughs> All right, well, let's fast forward now to season four of Discovery, and you return this time as a Ferengi, and not just any Ferengi. You are a Starfleet Ferengi officer, which is pretty rare, and you're also, I think, the first Ferengi we've seen on screen in a live-action way uh, in the entire time New Trek has been around. So uh, that has to have been really exciting. I mean, was this a role that they came back to you for, they auditioned for? Uh, how did this one come together? So, again, I uh, underachieving uh, Trekkie here because I'm not one. <laughs> when I got this, I I didn't know what I was walking into, of course. Um, I didn't even know what I was doing until, like, I, you know, when it comes to the prosthetic process and the wardrobe process, you know, they ta- they all dialogue with, with each other and they... they talk about like oh who's difficult who's easy to work with <laughs> and like I, I from what i understand they wanted somebody a little bit smaller in stature in stature compared to everybody else and i'm really small i'm five foot six 127 <laughs> i'm a pretty small dude um so the wardrobe uh suggested me 
to do it. And, you know, my agent got in contact with me and she's like, Hey, do you, you know, do you want to, is this something that you would be interested in? Because it's quite the commitment. I'm like, yeah, of course. And so I went to my first fitting and again, it was a, it was a long process just to even get, uh, I think they fitted me for two jackets the first day, but like for those two jackets, I think I had to come at least four or five times, (laughs) which was a lot. And um, I don't know what their expectation was, but I know that I think this is without, this is not what they said, but just from feeling the season out, I think that they wanted to kind of test out the Ferengi and introduce the Ferengi back into the fold uh, without actually putting too much uh, emphasis on them. Maybe just uh, show a Ferengi here and there and see how like the, the audience respond to it. And man, when that trailer dropped, there was a lot of responding. <laughs> yeah, I was one of those people because I was like, oh my God, they finally brought the Frangie back. It's about time. I was super excited to see this because I'm, I'm a big fan of the Frangies. Anybody who's listened to the show knows I've had a bunch on already. Um, so yeah, I was like stoked when I saw that one screen grab. I know that thing went, I feel like more viral than anything else in that trailer, which is so cool to be talking to the dude who was in that part. So um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about the outfit. We'll get into the makeup in a second, but you know, you mentioned about the fittings, that kind of thing. Uh, and I've heard stories from different folks uh, who have been on the show who have said that, like, you know, getting those outfits, there's all sorts of different secrets about the thing and getting, getting it, you know, to fit them right. How was it for you? Cause we haven't talked to anybody who's worn those outfits just yet. Um, and I, and just kind of a little more, a little preface a little bit better, I guess. Uh, you know, I've spoken to folks like Conrad Coates, who I think you might've ran into while you're on defiance. Uh, and he was mm-hmm. telling us how like underneath their outfits, they're actually wearing suspenders to help keep the pants up because they can't wear belts in the future, apparently. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to know how the outfit fits, how it comes together. Is it comfortable to even wear? Uh, yeah, some are more comfortable than others. I had a grand total of, I'd say, nine or ten outfits wow. for me. Yeah, yeah. Just for you. Just for me. I want to just emphasize by saying every Ferengi that you see this season is me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think one of them we had to shelf because there wasn't enough time doing it, but it was this beautiful jacket. I, I don't want to say too much because I want to wear it maybe in future seasons if they have me on, but, um, yeah, they had about nine or 10 different outfits and, um, I don't, obviously Conrad's experience was the suspenders. I didn't have to wear the suspenders. They actually had, um, a little Velcro piece like where my belly button sat and where the um, pants ruck up and like on the, uh, the inner rim of the, uh, the pants, it would just like, it would just Velcro together. And I would have like little stirrups on uh, the bottom of my, um, my, my pants. So when I put them on and I put the boots on, it would just be just, just very, uh, very straight, very straight legs. There's no, uh, there's no curvatures on anybody. <laughs> Now the future is very linear, apparently. Why couldn't there be a sexy Ferengi with a little bit of a booty? I don't understand. <laughs> well, we haven't seen the Moogies yet. We haven't seen the Lady Ferengi, so maybe that'll change. Yeah, definitely. So we talked about the outfit, but let's talk about the makeup. And uh, this is what I'm really, really interested in because, you know, again, we've spoken to a lot of Ferengis. We've heard what the what the makeup has been in the past. Uh, I got to know if things have changed. So uh, talk to me about, I guess, the, the whole process of getting the mold, if there was a mold. And how long it took you each day to get all those different pieces on? I mean, there was probably a lot of pieces to this, weren't there? I'm about to reveal something very big to you. And a lot of the fans that you, they probably don't know. It's not pieces. It's actually a very detailed latex mask. 
I don't believe you. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just, um, it was just simpler to do with, you know, Doug and all his pieces. It, you know, it takes a village <laughs> to apply his pieces. And I've seen it myself. Like, man, he just like sits in that chair, closes his eyes and just hopes it to be over soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with m- me, first of all, like that, that shot in the trailer, I, nobody was expecting them to do close-ups on me. And you can kind of tell by how my eyes are kind of sunken in that trailer. Um, if it was just one piece, they would have done, you know, a, a better job. And they probably would have like shelled out for, you know, the molds and the pieces if they knew that they were going to do close-ups on me, but they w- weren't supposed to do close-ups on me, <laughs> at least not yet. So, yeah. And so it was just easier and a lot more, it's less time consuming to kind of like put that on and then take it off. And, you know, all they have to do is just do a little makeup around the eyes. And, um, well, like I said, like I have, um, they made about nine or 10 outfits. And so there's certain days where I had to get more paintings done to me than others. And okay. like, I would, uh, have to get my hands and nails painted <laughs> for certain things. <laughs> Uh, Without giving too much away here, because again, we're doing this right now. Uh, we're doing this interview right before the next part of season four airs, so we have to be a little bit careful when we're talking here, folks. Um, yeah. But you know, in terms of the teeth, that's something that with Frankie are known for is their jagged teeth. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you have to deal with any of that? Because I can't really tell from a lot of the shots I've seen you in so far. Nope, no, no teeth, teeth. Wow. no teeth. It's my teeth, my eyes, and I know that I remember when I seen the Ferengi, they had those like sharp little baby teeth. <laughs> Uh, that's the one thing I remembered them for. Um, and uh, yeah, no, no teeth, no contact lenses, just something easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And it just made things a lot easier on the makeup department's part. And, you know, even if they had to, you know, call me in like at five, four in the morning to put all these pieces on, I do it. Like, it's like, I love doing that stuff. And, you know, uh, we got picked up for season five. So maybe they might shed a little bit more emphasis on the Ferengi next season. I don't know. <laughs> I hope so. And, uh, you know, maybe they've gotten rid of the teeth. Maybe the Ferengi finally got some dentists on Franginar. So here's hoping that that's the case. <laughs> well, that's the big thing. And, you know, a lot of people are having a tough time dealing with how the Ferengi is now looking. And, you know, like us as humans, like we've, we didn't always look like this. We've evolved. And so like, I think it's hard for people to wrap their heads around that, you know, even alien species can evolve too. And, you know, in those, uh, those, those um, Star Trek seasons that were a lot earlier, you know, from what I've been hearing that um, the Ferengi were, uh, were kind of built on this group, these, uh, a group of individuals that is uh, very derogatory and um, laying on some very heavy stereotypes on that, um, that, uh, that group of people. And I, I just want to say like, with the show, like discovery, like that's so diverse and accepting. I think if we went back to the old ways of the Ferengi, I think that would just be a contradiction and that would kind of take away from the the diversity and the acceptance, you know, why I go back. <laughs> it's interesting that you brought that up because it's something I actually did ask Armin Shiverman on the episode where I had him on a while ago. And um, that was like, you know, are the Frangi the stereotypes of Jewish people? 
And, uh, you know, his response has always been, and he'll say this at conventions and all sorts of other places, and he said it on my show too, how, uh, you know, if he goes to, let's say, Australia, they'll be like, oh, are you trying to be like the Chinese stereotype? Or like, no matter where he goes, someone will always say whatever, like, some, whatever stereotype is similar to that from whatever part of the world they're from. Um, so it's always interesting to hear that kind of thing, but it, it is cool to see that, you know, and I like your perspective on it, how, you know, we're trying to move away from the old world and what the old thoughts were, this old thought process, and we're trying to bring things into modern times, and everybody is on more equal setting, essentially. Everybody's on more equal footing. Absolutely. And that's what I think the showrunners are trying to do. They're trying to kind of, you know, out with the old and with the new. And we can't go back to how it was because we're living in different times now and how things were back then were a little bit questionable. And you know, we don't want to do that on our show. And we just want to create a safe space for everybody. You know, whether you're on the show or watching the show, we want you to feel, you know, included. I love the makeup and, you know, with all that stuff, you know, said, I, I think we should just like stick to what we got. <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer. Now, when I've spoken to a lot of folks who have done parts that are with heavy prosthetics, uh, they usually tell me about the first time they see the character and I guess really the kind of the first time that the character connects with them. Uh, so mm-hmm. for you, first time you're seeing this character, and again, we know that you're not really a big tricky, but you do have a kind of fondness or affinity for the Frankie type of characters. So, you know, the first time you see this, this makeup and the first time you put it on, what goes through your head? All kinds of things. It's um, when you first put like the, the appliance on, it's kind of, that's your whoa moment. You know what I mean? And then, you know, once you get like the, the rest of the makeup on and for me as an actor, like I, I can't get into it until like I have the whole ensemble on. So I need to have the wardrobe, the, the makeup, the, the prosthetics. I need to have all of it on. And like I, I try to make sure every, all the Ferengis that I play are different. All right. Now we mentioned Doug Jones a little bit earlier in this interview here, and I'm curious to know, uh, well, first of all, had you ever really had any time spent with him on other shows and did you get a chance to interact with him at all during discovery? Um, I have not. I know that like, again, like Doug's a fucking superstar when it comes to prosthetics, like he's the king. I have not worked on him with him on other shows before, even though I know now that he's been on dozens of shows that I've already been on. <laughs> uh, but I, we just haven't, we just didn't uh, connect. But like, I was a big Hocus Pocus fan growing up in my household. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, you know, having, you know, Billy Butcherson right next to me when I'm getting my makeup done. That's like the coolest feeling in the world. And Doug is such a sweetheart. Like he's probably the the sweetest guy in the world. And I'm surprised like you being such a big horror fan, you weren't like nerding out and trying to interrupt him and get an autograph or something between takes. Cause I mean, the dude is, he's a creature from the shape of water. He's like everything scary in Guillermo del Toro's movies. I mean, the dude is amazing. Yeah. He's uh well, once you, I've been in this industry now for, almost 10 years scary <laughs> so i think the novelty of being around public figures wears off over time and like at the end of the day you know they're just trying to they're just trying to do their job and you know there's a time and place for that and so like if doug's in the makeup chair you know i i don't i try not to i try not to disturb him cuz i know that's his his time his me time just to kind of like mellow out before he has this long day and it really is like when you're on set, it's really like you're doing like 12, 14 hour days. And like, I like, I can imagine him, you know, wearing those huge platform shoes all day and like, just like, you know, being in that makeup and wearing the, you know, the contact lenses, it's, it's a lot. And so like, I, 
I just, uh, if he addresses me, then I'll talk to him. And he has, like, he's like, you know, said, hi, Anthony, you know, you're, you know, and complimented me on all my, like, on my Ferenginess and stuff like that. And we talked, you know, a little bit here and there. And also, like, when you're on set, you really don't have a lot of time to, you know, have those little conversations with, like, the, you know, everybody else because it's such a fast-paced set. Um, but you do have, like, those rare moments in between when you kind of, like, you know, have a little conversation here and there. And, yeah. So, Anthony, we've we made it this far in this interview. And we're talking so much about your makeup and your prosthetics. But let's give some credit where credit is due here. So uh, can you tell us the names of the folks who work on you on Star Trek? Oh, my gosh. There's so many. Uh, Nicola, Rocky, Adrian, Christopher, Larissa uh, from the wardrobe department, uh, um, Gersha. Um, Eog, Melanie, uh, Bianca, Heather, and I know that there's a ton of other people that I'm missing there. So if you're watching, I'm sorry, but just know that I'm thinking of you and you all kick ass. And really, like, uh, the devil works hard, but the wardrobe and makeup department over at Star Trek Discovery work harder. <laughs> so yeah, shout out to all those wonderful folks for doing such a fine job and bringing back the Frangies. Um, but Anthony, I got to also ask you, you know, I, I got inspired to ask you this question because I was looking at your headshot and I was like, this man's face is immaculate. And yet his career is like mostly doing heavy makeup and prosthetics. He's having glue on his face. That's so I just want to know, like, what is your skincare routine to protect yourself from not having all the burns and all the chemical stuff on it? And, you know, still looking pretty much, pretty much flawless. Uh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's a combination of uh, a good skincare routine, jeans, and drinking lots of water. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely mine. Like, like I don't drink any pops. I don't I hardly drink any juices. You know, if you know, I'll drink, of course, like the coffee and the tea here and there. But primarily, what I drink during the day is water. Um, great thing for your skin. Recommended. Drink as much water as you can. <laughs> Um, and also like there hasn't any been like any acne, uh, prone people in my family. So that's a big plus. Um, and you know, a good skin routine, you know, exfoliate, moisturize, especially if you're in a, a climate that's very cold, heavy moisturizer, definitely. Um, and in the summer where your sunblock <laughs> with lots of SPF in it, uh, do what you can to, uh, protect your skin because you only have you only have one <laughs> and since we're talking about giving credit where credit is due do you want to shout out any brands that you particularly use or any products that you really recommend or like um not particularly uh i actually <laughs> my grandfather and my mother uh used to um uh wear noxema <laughs> so uh i Honestly, that's a great cleanser in the morning, like just to get all of like that excess oil. Like I said, like after a day from set, like, you know, going into a boiling hot shower and getting all that stuff off is just like it's that's the that's the key to getting all that stuff off. So I imagine on a Star Trek set, you are surrounded by a lot of folks who are pretty deep in the lore. I mean, there's a lot of folks who might not be as crazy as my audience. But, uh, you know, again, you are the first Frangie that's on the set of Discovery. So for the first time that you're walking around in the full makeup, how are people reacting to seeing this new version of the Frangie? Um, it's not necessary. I have I've never heard anybody like come up to me and say, whoa, that's a crazy makeup or mask or it's uh that's uh, I don't like the way that looks. Everybody. It's always been the same. Everybody's been like, oh, we have a Ferengi this season. 
<laughs> so it seems like everybody was just as surprised as the the audience <laughs> when I walked on set and uh just it's it's a great like once once you're on set and once you get that familiarity going they're like oh there's Anthony he's back again <laughs> So something that has been universal among anybody who I talked to has who has been on Discovery is that they say it's like the best set they've ever worked on. Uh, does that statement ring true for you as well? Um, I worked on a lot of sets, and Star Trek Discovery is definitely one of the heavy hitters, and as far as the details and everything, and like they have actual working doors that slide, and like especially like in that lounge, it's absolutely gorgeous. I know that. I would go to that club every night if I if I had the chance. <laughs> and you have like, you know, live fires on set and like it's definitely it's amazing and they handle everything with care. <laughs> now again, we know that you're not like a super duper hardcore Trekkie in, in any way whatsoever, but I mean, did you feel any more I guess interest in the Star Trek franchise now that you've become a deeper part of it and especially because you are the first Starfleet Frangi in live action Trek in like, well, really since Nog and Deep Space Nine. So, you know, it's kind of a big deal. And I imagine it's, it's kind of a big responsibility too, whether you're aware or not, like to the fans, this is, it's a big, big deal. And you're really embodying this Frangi in this new modern world. So, uh, you know, have you felt more interested in the Star Trek universe? Did you go back and watch any more DS9 before you did the part? Uh, has, has this basically made you a fan? I wouldn't say a fan, but I would say like after my encounters with the wardrobe department, who was like giving me all this information about all the Ferengis, I would go back and watch like the, they would tell me about what episode is really Ferengi heavy based. And I would go back and I would watch some of that. And I thought it was really hilarious, you know, like it's, you know, with Cork and Nog, I'm like, I, I'm probably like a deep descendant of them. So like, it's, it's pretty cool to like, have that in my head and you know it's uh and I'm slowly trying to learn the rules of acquisition <laughs> just in case he asked me if he asked me in any way um it's a little tough but I'm getting there <laughs> I think my favorite rule of acquisition is what's mine is what mine and what's yours is mine too that's a good one to know yeah absolutely yeah and that's actually one of the first ones I did learn <laughs> nice nice <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, I wouldn't say, like, I'm a fan, but I, I do say that I have respect for the character more now than I did back then, for sure. Oh, that's great to hear, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to see Ferengi's back in Star Trek, so it's so cool, and I really hope we get to see a lot more of them in Season 5 and beyond, and hopefully a lot of them are going to still be Anthony Lake, because uh, that would be awesome. Keep it up. <laughs> well, I mean, like, from what I've been hearing, um, I don't know if I'm going to be on it, but I know that... Uh, I know that they, they really like me. So if they do want the Ferengi back, chances are I will be one of them or the oh. one. <laughs> oh, rub your lobes for good luck, but don't do that on um, camera. I don't want to get demonetized. Like, and give me like, give me a flipping line or two, would you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like my idea is like having like all the, uh, the characters come to the bar needing some much needed, and sarcastic advice, and I just give it to them. That would be my ideal uh, Ferengi scenario. <laughs> well, I hope you don't mind eating bugs, because uh, their food of choice is tube worms, so uh, get used to that. That sounds delicious. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not even going to touch that one. Uh, but you know what, Anthony, I mean, something else I want to talk to you about as well right now, and make sure we also plug it to our audience today, is uh, you have a YouTube channel, which I think is criminally underviewed. Uh, you have a channel called Sass for Cinema. Uh, I got to check out some of the videos before we did this interview, and they're a lot of fun. So uh, just, you know, real quick, plug it. Tell us what the channel's all about. Okay, so I started this YouTube channel called Sass for Cinema back in 2018. 
And my idea was to, my love for the 80s and 90s was to take movies that I loved and essentially beat them down. <laughs> um, and then, you know, life stuff got in the way and, you know, my my acting started to take a, be more on the, the front burner. So I paid more attention to that. And so after I did, you know, 12 episodes, I kind of like, put that on the back burner and like I'm uh, I'm eventually going to get back into it for sure um but right now I'm just uh I'm laying in wait as they say because my agent has been informing me that this uh this year is going to be pretty busy for as terms of like auditions and movies and shows and stuff well, I think that sounds like a good idea though I mean it's better to be busy than not busy right so I mean hopefully one of these days you get back to the channel but it's always going to be there that's the good news about it well, that's that's the thing with YouTube. Like, it's it's never going to go away, no matter what. So I know that I can always pick up where I left off for sure. And if folks who haven't seen it want to know more more about it, I mean, yeah, there's some horror stuff on it. But I think the last one you did was actually Showgirls, and that one's hilarious. So if you want to see someone tear apart Showgirls, which is like always a fun thing to do, uh, go ahead, check out Sass for Cinema on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I, that's got to be one of my favorite horror movies of all time, Showgirls. It is frightening. <laughs> it is awful. <laughs> <laughs> so anthony as we come to uh towards the end here of this interview i wanted to ask you what is mm -hmm. the best piece of advice either personally or professionally that you've ever gotten from someone else that you still use to this day don't take advice from anybody <laughs> um you know everybody's gonna have you know their opinions no matter what you know opinions are assholes like assholes everybody's got one uh but just you know my best advice for me other than not taking my advice is just do you, you know, everybody, everybody's going to, no matter what path you're going to be on, you're, you're eventually going to get there. You're going to might take a little longer, but eventually you're going to get there just as long as you, uh, you, uh, don't pay attention to all those little other flowers in the garden. You're the one that's blooming. So, uh, just pay attention to you. That's it. <laughs> all right. So Anthony, for folks out there who would like to follow you on social media, how can they go ahead and do that? You can follow me on Instagram at, at the Anthony Lake. I am not on Twitter yet, but I will eventually get there. <laughs> so Anthony, again, thank you so much for being here. You know, it's really cool to be able to meet the, the newest Frangie joining the family because that's really what it is now. I mean, you're part of the Frangie family. That's kind of a big deal to Star Trek fans. So I'm glad to hear that. It's also kind of giving you a little more respect uh, for the series too. It's great to hear. And it's good to know it's in the hands of someone who really does appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, like, I know that I was coming in to this whole universe pretty blind, but like, like a lot of people, they eventually, you know, learn to have a respect for the, uh, the individual that they're playing. And it's just, it's been honestly a great opportunity. And every time I've been on set, it's just been amazing, you know, and just like being with the cast as well. It's just, they're, at least I haven't seen, there hasn't been any divas or anything like that. Everybody has been so amazing. And Sonequa has been so uplifting and Doug's been a sweetheart and like just everybody has been really welcoming. Well, that's great to hear. So hopefully we do, like you said, we could see you back here in season five and many, many more because uh, we need more Ferengi and yeah, we need to get more paychecks for Anthony Lake. So let's make that happen. <laughs> everybody okay. make sure to follow Anthony on Instagram. Uh, be forewarned. You're going to be seeing a lot of his butt on there, but uh, hey, it's not a bad <laughs> thing to see. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, the sun doesn't shine, but my butt does. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Good night, America. <laughs> I live in Canada in the winter, so the sun hasn't been shining. But if you would like a sun, you know, feel free to follow me. <laughs> I think it's a full moon we're getting from your Instagrams. <laughs> well, there you go. I am a vampire also, so I do like the night. 
That is true. That is true. (laughs) Anthony, thank you so much for being here with us today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you're in a position to financially support the show, please consider becoming a supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold or pick up some merchandise from our Redbubble store. If you're looking for direct links for any of these things, links will be right in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments for the show or would like to suggest a guest or discuss any sponsorship ideas with us, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Trek Untold and for continuing to support this show. I hope you'll come back next time to learn more stories about Star Trek and beyond. Until then, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and always remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the RageWorks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.